been like to be a follower of Christ and um, come in with all your preconceived ideas and not really know who he is? What would that be like if you were a person that had that experience? What would it be like to go down the mountain with Jesus and all of a sudden continue this process of experiencing all of these different kinds of miracles that he did? What would that be like? And what would you decide about the person of Jesus Christ as you went through this experience? You know, we're talking about not just red letters spoken, but red letters experienced. And it's interesting because all of the miracles, there are three today, all revolve somehow being around the shore. And we're going to kind of have a, a seaside experience with Jesus Christ today. As we continue down the mountain, and as we come to the Sea of Galilee, um, this precious place where Jesus Christ did several of his miracles, really began his ministry, all of a sudden you have this experience of watching Jesus Christ go through these things, <coughs> and you get to experience um, what he did. It says, and when he got into the boat... His disciples followed him into the boat. Now, we know something about these disciples that followed him into the boat, don't we? We know that many of them are fishermen, so like a boat wasn't an unusual thing. Um, I've thought about the fact that I probably should do more boating around here, but boating is an unusual thing for me. I didn't grow up with a kayak. Um, I I didn't grow up being pulled behind a, a boat and drug on an inner tube. I didn't grow up with those experiences. That wasn't a part of my life. But these guys were fishermen, and they were used to boats. And in fact, they were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, so they were used to this body of water. So they got in the boat with Jesus, and as you read on in the passage, you find out that something happened. It says, And behold, there arose a great storm, so that the boat was swamped by the waves, but he, being Jesus was asleep. Jesus was exhausted by ministry. And so as soon as he got in the vehicle, and maybe you are married to a person like this, I can be this person. As soon as you get in the vehicle, the first thing you want to do is take a nap. Jesus decided it was a good time to take a nap. He had just gotten off the mountain. He just performed some other miracles. And Jesus decided that this was a good time to take a nap. But at the same time, there was a storm coming in. And the Sea of Galilee is interesting because the Sea of Galilee is actually 600 feet below sea level. And because of the way it is and the way the the mountains are that are around it, it's not unusual to see whitecaps on the water there. You know, we were in Connecticut and uh, um, there was a small tropical issue um uh, over in connecticut and uh we were um we went to ikea in new haven and uh and we we were really wise you know we saw the white caps on the water so of course being on vacation you have to take pictures and there were people actually out on those white caps that were on wind sailing and they were really sailing on the wind (laughs) because they knew what they were doing And these fishermen that were in the boat with Jesus Christ knew what they were doing. But something interesting happens as you read on because this natural crisis causes the disciples to do something. And they went to him 
And they went and woke him and said, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, if fishermen in a boat are concerned about perishing, it must be a pretty bad storm. It must be a, a pretty rotten experience if all of a sudden they're doing that. And it must be especially bad if you wake up a carpenter to help you, which is what they're doing. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, you have to understand that this story is written out of the context of this moment. This story is written by Matthew, who's trying to explain to us the authority that God has. And he's writing from outside this story at a later date. And I think as he wrote those words, he kind of chuckled. He thought it was kind of funny. Because, see, he wasn't actually in the boat. He would have just heard about the experience of the boat. And Jesus, it says... Jesus acknowledged and he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Now, in the context of this moment, I'm sure that this didn't completely make sense to them. They were just afraid in the boat. And they had little faith because they didn't understand yet completely who was in the boat with them. They were just getting to know Jesus Christ. I think that there are moments in our Christian experiences where we are afraid. We have no idea what's going on. This is definitely one of those moments in the history of our church where things are just a little bit out of control. We can be a little bit afraid and we don't know what's going on and we have to remember who God is in that moment because in that moment, two things can happen. Either your circumstances can define your God or your God can define your circumstances. And Jesus Christ knew who he was at that moment. But he challenged who they thought he was. Why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? You know, in our lives, there is always this tension going on. And the tension is between faith and something, isn't it? Are we going to believe what the Word of God says? Are we going to believe who God says he is? Or are we going to let our circumstances... And there's that tension, isn't there? We live in those moments where we are in control and we feel confident and we can quote scripture and we're confident in God, but then there's there's other moments we're afraid. Have you ever been really afraid? When Nancy and I were dating, um, uh, I was in an an uh, all-male chorus. and, uh, And because my background had been that I'd sold clothes, the guy that was in charge of it, Mr. Eiler, said can you go into our storage room where we keep all the tuxes and resize everything? It's a real mess. Well, there's this huge building called the Tory Gray Auditorium that seats about 3,000 people, okay? And in the back of it, in one of the catacombs of this place, was this little closet where we kept everything. So I'm up there, and I'm diligently working and resizing everything and putting it in order because, you know, I like to be organized, so this was like a fun project for me. Well, Nancy knew that I was up there, and so she decided to visit me. But she decided to visit me at the same time I was leaving to do something. So Nancy saw me going down the staircase in the back of this very large building that I think I was the only person in, And she 
snuck up behind me down that staircase and all of a sudden I don't know what she did either she screamed or she touched me or something and then I screamed like a little girl (laughs) and I was absolutely shaking you know we have those moments when life is that way where we are just absolutely afraid that's where these fishermen were at and if you were a non-fisherman in the boat and you saw that the fishermen were afraid you were probably even more afraid and so they woke up the carpenter this guy this messiah that they knew and they asked him and he said that they had very little faith because you have to realize there's always this tension in life fear is always trying to diminish faith There's always something trying to erase the confidence that we can have in God. The next verse says this. It says, And then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the storm, and there was a great calm. You know, they'd seen Jesus Christ perform other kinds of miracles, but they'd never seen Jesus Christ step in and have authority over nature. Uh, what an interesting moment. I, I'm thinking that Matthew probably at this moment has this huge smile on his face because Jesus basically just stood up and did what every mom would do and just said, cut it out. Stop. And there was absolute calm in that moment. And the next verse says this. It says, And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I think we need to add to our own list the reminder that the God of heaven is a God that controls nature. There isn't something that surprises him. He doesn't see a cold front coming and going, I don't know what he thinks is going to happen here, God. He, he doesn't have that experience. He is in complete control. And, and the disciples marveled at him in that moment because all of a sudden, the context changed. The context changed from the circumstances around them to the Lord that was sitting with them and the calm that he created. Well, they got to the other side, to the country of Gadarenes. Now, Gadarenes is an interesting part of the Sea of Galilee or the shore communities because it's a Gentile community. It it isn't a Jewish community. And when they came to the shore, all of a sudden, there was another crisis. Two demonic, two demon-possessed men led met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. So there were these two crazy guys. And uh, they were there. And it's interesting what happens next. Read this next verse with me. It says on the end of verse 28, it says this, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us? O son of man, have you come here to torment us 
before the time? You see, I, I think that one of the things that we have to remember, and sometimes we live in a world right now that people are denying this, but, but we live in a world that has a spiritual dimension to it. And there are spiritual creatures that live in that dimension. And God created all of them. And they were originally all called angels. And they were special creatures that did his bidding. But then one of them that was very close to him, that stood in his presence, became enamored with himself, not realizing that the reflection that he saw was not himself, but God. And he decided that he could be equal with God. And he rebelled against God. And when he rebelled, he took others with him. And it's interesting that the demons themselves understand the authority of the Son of Man. In fact, their question is an interesting question. We know that eventually we're going to be punished. Are you moving up the date? We know at the end of the time that there is going to be a sense that evil and the demonic powers are going to be thrown into the lake of hell. Are you moving up the date? They acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ. And this is really important. There are sometimes I think that we give the demonic world too much authority because we forget that they're under God's authority. We give them too much credit and we forget that they're under God's authority and that we who love him are, are covered with his blood and therefore are under that authority. It's interesting what the demons asked next. In verse 30, it says this. They, they asked a request, and the request was this. Now, a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. He knew that they, would, they had the sense that they had no right to still be where they were, but they were trying to negotiate an exit strategy. And so they said, you see those pigs over there? And this is a reminder that you're in a non-Jewish area, okay? Because Jewish people don't eat pork, which is really sad because the best pork in the whole world is bacon, But you have this moment where they say, uh, can, you, can you do that? And, and Jesus responds and says to them this. He has this authority and he says, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and behold, the whole herd of pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the waters. Why? Because if you read about demonic powers, they, they have three goals in mind. You find this in the book of John. They, they want to steal from us. They want to kill. And they want to destroy. That's their goals. And one of the ways that they do that is they try to, even in the life of a believer, we're told not to let a foothold in Ephesians be given of power to anything other than God. Because Satan will take advantage of that foothold. And so this is what happened next. If you read on, it says this. The herdsmen fled, 
going into the city and they told everyone especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. So the herdsmen all of a sudden don't have a job. They run into the city and they're going to and they're basically explaining the story. You got to remember, this is the only picture that they have of Jesus. The only picture they have of, of Jesus is someone who destroys pigs. Because they couldn't see all that was going on. They couldn't see the spiritual dimension of what was going on. All they could tell the people is, is the weirdest thing happened. You're not going to believe this. Why are you out of breath? Oh, we just lost all our pigs. But more than that, you know those two guys that we're always trying to avoid when we get off the boat? They are no longer demon-possessed. You see, it's interesting because it tells you that here that they were more enamored with the demon-possessed being freed than the pigs being lost. Here's a reality for a lot of people. A reality of a lot of people is they're so enamored with what they're going to lose that they don't understand how an encounter with Jesus Christ will be freeing for them. And so they get so caught up in that. That's why sometimes when you share the gospel with somebody and you say, are you ready to accept Jesus Christ? What they're saying is, no, not yet, because I know what I'm going to lose if I ask Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. And I'm not ready to lose that. They understand that God has some authority in their life, and they understand that their lives need to change. And, and we have to make sure that we're honest with people and tell them that when they accept Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, life is going to change. There's a new sheriff in town. Things are going to be different. And there are people that are unwilling to experience that, and so they get really caught up in the idea of what they are going to lose, and they say, well, in light of that, eh, I know you say I'm going to be free. But if being a slave and having what I have is is where I'm going to be at, I'm okay with that. In fact, you see that in the city's response. Because in the city's response, in verse 34, it says, And behold, all the city came to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Did they beg him to leave their reason because of the freedom that the demonic had? No. They begged him to leave their reason because they did not want to experience the financial loss of having Jesus around. They, they didn't want to experience that. I love one of the explanation of one of the Irish revivals. It says that when many people were saved, the mind slowed down for a while. And the reason the mind slowed down is because the animals that ran the coal and the ore out of, out of the mines didn't understand English without cursing. It says, but once the animals got used to the re- language of the redeemed, all of a sudden the coal mines and the iron mines had just as much. But see, there was a loss for a while. There was a change for a while. 
There is going to be a change. Some of you in this room have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Some of you on live stream have not accepted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And the reason is, is you're playing a game in your mind and you're saying, I don't want to lose something. And the reality is, is that you don't understand what you're going to gain. You're going to gain freedom because your sin is enslaving you. And God wants to offer you forgiveness. And that's what took place on the side of the shore. But then they traveled back home, and home would have been Capernaum at that time. And he came to his own city. And it says that when he came to his own city, that all of a sudden there was a group of people that brought a paralytic and he was lying on a bed. Now, if you read in the story of Luke or in the story of Mark, there's a little bit more to the story. This is the story of the four friends who pulled the tiles off the roof and lowered the person so that they could meet Jesus. Matthew is making a little different focus on how he's taking a look at this. And, but he has friends that are rescuing him. In the end of verse 2, it says this. This is what Jesus' response. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sons, your sins are forgiven. Now, you need to understand that there's a background to this verse, because oftentimes whenever they saw that someone was somehow um, a paralytic or handicapped or hurt somehow or a birth defect, they always wondered where the sin was. And Jesus Christ looked at this man and said, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus Christ was showing a new authority here. Jesus Christ has shown authority over several things. He's shown authority over nature today. He's shown authority over the demonic today. But now he's showing an interesting authority that they had never thought about the Messiah having. He has the ability to forgive sin. You know, that last song we sang is such a beautiful song because it's a huge reminder of how when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, we had the ability for our sin to be forgiven. And he looked at this young man. He looked at this paralytic and he said, your sins are forgiven. Well, at this point, now all of a sudden he experiences some resistance. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Why? Because they understood that only one person could forgive sin, and that one person was God. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ didn't say, God will forgive your sins. Jesus Christ looked down at that paralytic, and he says, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus Christ shows another superpower as we read on in this. In verse 4, we find this out. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? This would be an interesting part to Jesus. You know? I think we all grew up in a house where we were pretty sure our mother knew what we were thinking all the time. And it kind of freaked us out. But God does really know what we're thinking. And so he looked over at those scribes and he says, why are you thinking this evil? And then he challenged their thinking by saying this, For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise 
and walk. You've had no problem when I was a healer, but now you have a problem because I'm a forgiver. Hmm. Goes on in verse 6 and says this. He does say something in verse 6, really. But that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus Christ is showing an authority that no one had ever seen or thought of Messiah having which was the authority not to save their nation, but to save their soul. You know, everyone has an expectation of what they think Jesus is or what they want Jesus to do. We live in a world where you can watch shows about Jesus, you can watch YouTube about Jesus, you can see Jesus on Facebook and get all different kinds of ideas about him. But the center of the story of Jesus is the cross of Jesus. And the point of the cross of Jesus is to save your soul. Because we are sinners that stand before a holy God and that holy God must judge our sin. And out of his fairness, we deserve the same judgment that the demonic will receive. But Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ died on the cross, took the punishment for our sin, so God's love and fairness could offer us the opportunity to have our soul saved. Because Jesus, more than any other authority, we celebrate that Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sin. We find in the next verse that it just says that Jesus departed. In, in, it, in verse 7, it just says that he departed. And then in verse 8, it says this. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. You know what? There is one kind of fear that is the right kind of fear. If because we're afraid, we fear God, and because we fear God, we worship God, that's the goal. You see, fear is supposed to move us to worship. It's not supposed to move us to diminish. You see, the question that we have to ask ourselves today is this. How does the, your way of life and your thinking diminish faith and minimize Christ's authority? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because that's what was taking place. In each one of these stories, somehow fear was diminishing faith, wasn't it? In the boat. Fear was diminishing faith. Okay? On the seashore, fear or finances were diminishing faith. Right? 
in Capernaum. Foolishness was diminishing faith because they didn't understand who Messiah was. And when Jesus Christ says, I can forgive sin, they said, no, you can't. Only God can do that. (laughs) I'm the son of... um, But I can do that. But only God can do that. But I can do that. Because I am God. You see, you have to decide what your God looks like. And as your God grows... There is no fearful situation that can diminish the God that you love. Because of the track record God had already created in my life, even though there are moments that this COVID experience is unnerving, I can live at peace. Because, see, my God has authority over COVID. Now, I'm not going to be naive here and tell you that because I'm a Christian, I won't get it. That's not biblical. That's not true. But my question to you today is how do you need to increase the authority of God in your life? For some of you, you need to let him be your forgiver. You've never let him do that. You're still playing the game. Well, you know, I'm going to lose something if I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And, and, and I'm warming up to the idea, but I'm not quite there yet. Okay? Well, you know, it's, it's time to get there. I know there may be some of my family watching this online. And some of my family who's watching it is older than me. That's too long to have excuses not to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. I know that there may be people in this room that appear Christian because they've been around a long time. But they're standing next to faith instead of in faith. And today is the day that you have to decide. Are you going to trust in the God who can be your forgiver? And there's other things that we have to trust God in every day. If you watch the news long enough, you can be fearful, right? If you look at your stock market reports, you can be fearful. If you look in your checkbook, you could be fearful sometimes. Some of you are facing the fear of unemployment. Others of you are facing the fear of underemployment. Some of you are dealing with sickness the unknowns in your life that sometimes overwhelm you. But don't be like the disciples who let fear overcome faith and diminish the faith that was there. They called out right at first. Lord, save us, right? And we need to be that same people of faith. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, I pray for each of us here. Forgive us for the lack of authority that sometimes we give you in our desire to feel in control. Forgive us for 
the things that we try to do that make up for the angst that we feel inside. And today, God, we want to remind ourselves that you have authority over nature, authority over all things spiritual. But mainly we want to remind you ourselves that you have the ability to forgive. And so God, we ask you to forgive our unbelief. We help you to grow our faith. We pray that either for the first time or for another time, we would humble ourselves before your cross and seek to live more clearly and completely under your authority. God, we want our fears to be erased and we want worship to be in their place. And God, we want to not just know a part of the Son of God, but to fully know him and to be fully known by him. And so, God, increase our faith today, we pray. Amen. There are just several things I need to remind you of. I, I know that some of you already